Welcome to a new Q&A episode of the King of Weighted Calisthenics Coaching Cues podcast. We ask you for questions on um, my private profile and on the King of Weighted profile. And as always, which means as always, as we did just one episode with this, but as the last time, um, we're going to have... Um, Person A asking person B a question and then uh, we discuss our thoughts on the questions. And just reading through it, um, I would just start with uh, question number one, which is um, a pretty nice question. We get that asked a lot. And that is from Kenneth Kento. Do you need to test your 1RM or MREP every time you enter a new phase of a program? Not really, because um, I would take the last week of uh, the last program or the last training block, because towards the end of a training block, you might be training closer to uh, yeah, the intensities will be higher, so the estimation of your one rep max might be li uh, a little bit more accurate in comparison to the beginning of a block. And yeah, but you don't need to test it uh, every block or training program you're going to start. One very important point you just mentioned is you can calculate an estimated one rep max. So there exactly. is not always a need for testing it. Um, so by the way, we have a nice calculator on our, our website. If you want to estimate your one rep max, there you can calculate uh, your estimated one rep max by just inserting numbers like the weight you moved, uh, the reps you did and your own body weight. Exactly. So for um, like the calisthenics lifts, body weight is included and for the other ones, you just leave it blank. But it's also explained on, on the uh, website. So. Summing that up, no, you don't need to test it every time. Um, if we're talking about M reps, so that stands for as many reps as possible in higher ranges, um, like the fatigue of that by the end of the block, comparing it to the injury risk is not as uh, like dramatic as testing your one rep max. So M reps is something you can max out more often or like you can do that to the end of the block just to see your improvements. Uh, one rep maxes, um, especially if you are an experienced lifter who can move a ton of weight, um, no need to, to test that frequently. Keep that for the, for the platform. If you're an unexperienced lifter, there's also nothing too bad about testing it from time to time because you can't move that much weight uh, anyway. As long as you keep the form on point, um, it's okay. But it's, there's no need to Asked the question was, do I need to? No, no, you don't. But you can under uh, certain circumstances we just covered. All right, then it's my turn. Kenneth, very nice question. Thank you. All right. Then next question by Antonio Philippe. Do you ever face out key exercises like pull-ups and dips to avoid joint issues? What means face out? Um, taking them out of the plan ah. for a certain time period um yes definitely um we try to like if everything is going good you can avoid those overloading issues in the first place as we know it's never working 100 percent as planned so there definitely can be the case of, of overusing injuries 
And then the first thing I would try is to work with a variation. So if I have some elbow problems with um, chin-ups, I'm trying to switch to pull-ups or to neutral grip and see if that still is, is uh, a problem. If no variation is working either, I will cut that movement out completely for a certain time and try to, to rehab the structures uh, as fast as possible. Um, but the first step would always be testing uh, variations. But that definitely happens from, uh, from time to time. Yeah, and this is also something we already talked about in one of the podcasts we did, like where we talked about the off and in season and off season would be a great chance to train var uh, variations of your main lifts. So you can take some time off. So if you're talking about uh, squat, for example, when we're using a low bar squat uh, as our competition lift, we might train the high bar squat during the off season, since this will allow us to hit different muscles and to uh, use higher volume without uh, necessarily fatiguing those joint structures that we um, put it a little bit more emphasis on during the in season. Yeah, and often it might be enough to just change one session of the week. So if you're having squat two to three times a week and you have two to three low bar sessions, maybe just keep one low bar session in and uh, switch the other two or uh, the other one. That often already is enough to just prevent yeah. uh, your structures from being overloaded. Exactly. Then, um, mm, nice one. A lot of people ask in German, so I just need to translate. Um, interesting one, weighted chin up for the bar muscle up or rather weighted pull up for the bar muscle up. A question by Oleg McDolek. <laughs> nice name, by the way. <laughs> All right. So personally, I would use the chin up, even though we are using a pronated grip on the muscle up simply because the chin-up is a little bit more shoulder extension dominant and if we are comparing the chin-up to a muscle-up we're also doing more of a shoulder extension movement rather than a shoulder abduction movement and therefore the chin-up could be slightly more effective but in the end if you train the chin-up and the pull-up I think there won't be as much of a difference. Yeah, same opinion on these um, difference might be there. Like we can just estimate if it's there, but it's probably um, not too significant. So both ways work. Um, just take the lift that feels more comfortable for you, that feels more natural for you, and then just scale it up. Because the good thing with all strength sports is that strength always transfers to strength. So. If you're getting stronger in the main pulling lift, rather chin-up or pull-up, both will have great carryover uh, to the muscle-up, as long as you still also train your muscle-up. So always have specific movement and assistance in, and assistance should be specific, but you don't need to engineer that into the, the last detail. I think we also talked about it in the... Uh, episode where I talked about what I changed my opinion of. And True, yeah. I talked about that I'm not trying to over-engineer uh, assistance anymore and just as long as it works, fine. No need to, to exactly. have it. Uh, yeah. All right. Next question from Sandro Shababa. Sorry, man. 
Uh, if statics are frustrating, can you replace them with dynamic variants and expect similar or better results? Mm -hmm. So first of all, statics are always frustrating. <laughs> so <laughs> that would be my first point. <laughs> and um, so adherence, meaning that uh, a program should be fun and that you should enjoy the training is super, super important. So if just training static holes is just too monotonous for you and you have no fun at all, definitely you should integrate some dynamic variations uh, and all that stuff um, because a fun program even though if it's not the, the most efficient one will bring you better results than uh, a program that you don't enjoy and you just train that with 50% effort um, but you won't get the the same results from dynamic assistance versus static holds because when it comes to isometrics um, you have pretty angle-specific adaptions, meaning you get stronger in the position that you hold. And if you accumulate, um, I don't know, you're doing five sets of front lever holds and you're accumulating 30 seconds of front lever time under tension, um, you will adapt way better than just accumulating five to six seconds because you did some raises, because you did some negatives, so uh, the static hold is definitely superior to the dynamic assistance, um, but a combination of both um, can be superior to just statics because you have more range of motion in your training, um, more um, probably hypertrophy stimulus, more fun, more variation. So um, if the static is getting really boring and frustrating, keep it in but replace a bit of it with something that's, that's more fun. That would be my, my solution here. Awesome. Critics? <laughs> no, nothing to add here at all. So okay. that sounds good to me. So let me just check how long that episode already is and if the camera is still running. 25% and we have 10 minutes. Oh, we can go for a couple of questions more. Yeah. Good. Then... What a random question. Like that question from Oral Bub. I'm sorry, bro, but rings versus bars, benefits and downsides is like asking free weights versus machines, which is like, you definitely can get some points on these, but specify it. Yeah. And to still give you an answer, because we are nice, um, I would ask the question a bit different. And let's say, um, ring dips versus bar dips benefits and downsides of each all right so for the ring dips we do have as a downside they are more unstable compared to regular bar dips and on the pro side we have they are more unstable <laughs> <laughs> compared to bar dips <laughs> and that's true uh, okay so it always comes down to the goal you want to achieve uh, with those movements if you want to get stronger then so it depends yeah it depends as usual but if you want to get stronger then go for bar dips because or parallel bar dips not straight bar dips please um, simply because you have more stability and more stability means you can grind more without yeah, putting emphasis on to uh, stabilizing more. So without having to 
externally stabilize. And in the rings, if you want to build muscle mass or want to train in higher rep ranges, then this is a great variation you can try to implement into your training uh, simply because it is a variation. It is a little bit unstable, which means that those deeper muscle tissues get trained that otherwise wouldn't get trained. And due to the stabilization of the rings, you're also training your adductor and abductor muscles a little bit more, which can favor muscle growth. Yeah. I think that answer is pretty good. So basically, if you want to get better at stuff on the rings, <laughs> do stuff on the rings. You want to get better at stuff on the bars, do stuff on the bars and um, always look at the limiting factor of certain exercises. And if you want to get a strong dip and on the ring stability is always limiting you, you should not do it on the rings rather on the bar because they are your limiting factors than hopefully um, a muscle that you want to train. Um, but yeah, both are nice tools and have definitely um, it's a great. right to yeah. exist. All right. I think I need a couple of questions. You're out of questions. I'm out of good questions. Yeah. Let's just update it. Ah, there's one new. There are some questions that are pretty hard to answer. That's why. Yeah, I'm just reading through. <laughs> Training with chronic illness. Mm, yeah, the, the question is what kind of, of, <laughs> of illness uh, yeah, that it is. is uh, uh, so if it's like, uh, you know, a flu you have for a very long time or a cold or something, bro, just take whatever time off you need to recover from that. Otherwise, you are running into serious issues you don't want to run into. Um, so if it's something like that, um, don't train and just pause. And for everything else, consult um, a doctor that has its profession in, in that area. Like we're personal trainers, um, no doctor, so definitely uh, I don't have the competence to uh, tell you about training with chronic illness. Yeah, totally agree with that. Should we just continue with the top right one? Because yeah. I never really uh, <laughs> used it and uh, so, interesting, uh, interesting approach. Talks on slingshot dips. So basically Some... a slingshot would probably need to explain it as uh, guys are most of the guys are probably not knowing it. So a slingshot is a rubber band tool that you put around the upper arm. So you have the sling around here, a sling around here, and your arms are then connected by a rubber band. Meaning if you perform a shoulder extension, the rubber band lengthens, length, lengthens, lengthens, stretches around your chest and provides you then more help in the bottom reverse point. So basically the slingshot is a tool to um, create um, a different resistance profile of the exercise where usually the bottom reverse point might be the hardest. You can even that out with, um, with a slingshot and so work with higher weights that you would normally fail in the bottom reverse point. So it's kind of like a tool for overloading strategies. 
and yeah. I never used it on dips. Never ever. I haven't even tried it. Have you tried it on the bench press? No. So also, never. I wouldn't recommend to do so because, as Michael already said, you're going to lift weights that you would fail otherwise. So you get a little bit of assistance in moving heavy as weights and most of the time this is actually going to result in injuries rather than in a <laughs> good uh, benefit ratio. Yeah, so it's like and it's a technique used for very, very experienced lifters to condition their force output and also psychological factors to just work with weights that are you know 110 120 percent of your one rep max so that your real one rep max just feels more manageable um, so definitely for advanced athletes maybe as i said i don't have any experience with it uh, on, on on dips um, but yeah maybe it's it's something um for like a strength phase um you can use um but then the question is if you're leaning like if you have a pretty upright dipping posture it probably just limits your forward movement so, so it kind of depends on the dipping now. technique also if it's yeah. really helpful or just so, harming yeah as in the bench press you need to have elbows actually pretty close yeah. uh, to the torso because if you flare them out it does not have the, the effect of the stretching and the support so you really need to have a lot of elbow extension to really For make dip, it work that would mean you need to lean yeah, in even uh, more and i think this would even uh, limit your uh, the depth of the dip so you cannot get and it also deep cuts enough internal rotation exactly which, yeah. Yeah. and internal rotation is needed to yeah, produce force so so probably fuck the slingshot <laughs> <laughs> and train properly guys <laughs> but just that was brainstorming uh we haven't tried it maybe it's the game changer we didn't know about but i don't think so um okay omar um it's it's two questions i will start with with the first part so shout out to omar Will bulking make the progress in bodyweight skills impossible? It will not make it impossible, but it's going to make it harder, especially as your relative strength will be lower compared to someone with lower body fat. And yeah, so you, you will just have a harder time in progressing in your skills because you need to get stronger first to carry that body weight. So while bulking, stagnating in statics kind of is progress so while your body weight goes up and you have like a five second advance tuck on 70 kg body weight and you keep that five seconds advance tuck up to 73 74 75 kg body weight that is how you progressed so you won't see uh, lever change mm -hmm. but uh, that's the, the progress and the second part of the question is 60 to 20 percent body weight fat uh body fat bad 16 16 to 20. no so everything below 20 percent body fat is fine when you get above 20 percent body fat you should start making a change so trying to get down or trying to get your body fat down a little bit uh, simply because your health could get worse with higher body fat percentages and 
I think it will also inhibit your performance in some way. And yeah, just try to stay within 10 to 20% of body fat, which is a good uh, ballpark to have a good performance uh, to weight relationship. And I think uh, with that question, we are closing this uh, Q&A for today. Thanks for listening. Um, see and hear you in the next episode. And if you're interested in our coaching service, make sure to click the link in the description, schedule your free consulting call, and then we will talk about how we can help you best to achieve your performance goals. So see you in the next episode.